Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join our lead pastor, Mike Wiggins, for the message, Advent. All right, so before, before Gabriel told the Virgin Mary that she would become the mother of the Messiah, and before the Holy Spirit um, uh, overshadowed her and the miraculous conception of the Christ child occurred in her womb, before an unnamed angel appeared to Joseph and told him, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is not what you think, it really is from the Holy Spirit. And before Caesar Augustus made his proclamation, he issued his decree that the whole Roman world had to return back to their home, hometowns, in order to register for a census for tax purposes. And before Joseph and Mary got that um, call and got on their donkeys and they went 80 to 100 miles from Nazareth up in Galilee all the way down to Bethlehem of Judea. And before Joseph knocked on the door of the second story of that inn, that caravansary, or in the Greek, kataluma, and was told there's no room in the inn. And I believe the innkeeper said, but you can stay down below on the first floor with the animals. And before Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in an animal feeding trough. Before the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds out in the fields outside of Bethlehem to give this amazing announcement that the Christ child had been born. And then, before the, the sky was filled with a, a host of the the. the, the angelic army, right, and they're all singing that first Christmas carol that we talked about this past Saturday, this past Sunday. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And then before the shepherds rushed to Bethlehem, right, so that they could see with their own eyes what you guys just sing about, the incarnate word of God lying in that box. And then before, we believe months later, when the wise men saw the aster after they arrived in Jerusalem, the, the, the celestial object in the sky, and they followed it as it hovered, not over a manger, but over the house that Joseph and Mary had moved into, and we think Jesus at that time was a toddler. And before those wise men went in that house, and they fell on their face, and they worshiped this child, and gave him gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know that before before all the events surrounding Christ's birth, before, during, and after, and yes, before all the events of all history, we come to our classic text today in John chapter one. And before I read the text, I wanna share with you a quote about the text from the late Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost. And so some 34 or five years ago, I read his book, the Words and Works of Jesus Christ back in Bible college. It was one of the books that God used to change my life, but here's what Dr. Pentecost said. He said, the life of the Lord Jesus did not begin as does the life of all other persons at the moment of birth. He came into the world, look at this, from a pre-existent state to fulfill a specific mission. And so unlike every other person who's ever been born, Christ was alive before he was born. John wants to write about that right now in John 1.1. All right, so let's look at it. 
I hope you're looking at John 1.1, at least on the screen right now, but this is the word of God. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so the Apostle John began his prologue with this phrase, in the beginning. Now does that sound familiar to anybody? It should if you've been reading your Old Testament because it's the first phrase of the first verse in the Bible. (laughs) Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what is John doing? In John 1-1, he's saying, in that beginning, at the time of the creation of the space-time material universe, you go all the way back to when God said, let there be light. And you go before that, before creation, and guess what? The word already existed. You go all the way back to eternity, And the word, in the Greek, it's the logos, comes to you. Someone says, well, I thought it's pronounced logos. Well, if you're talking about a trademark, like a logo, then yes, it's logos, but when you're talking about philosophy in the Greek, it's logos, and regarding that term logos, translated into the English as word, John MacArthur says this. He says, the apostle John borrowed the use of the term word, not only from the vocabulary of the Old Testament, but also from Greek philosophy, in which the term, get this, was essentially impersonal. For all those Greek philosophers, impersonal. Signifying the rational principle of divine reason, mind, or even wisdom. And so to the ancient Greeks, the logos, the word, was an impersonal personal, rational principle that existed in the universe, a force, if you will. But in our passage, John says, no, no way. And he corrects the Greek philosophers, and he says this, the logos is not impersonal, but personal. The logos is not a principle, but a person, capital P. The logos is not an it, he's a he, (laughs) Which is why in many of your English translations, they correctly start verse two with the pronoun he. Check it out on the screen, here's verse two. He, not it, he was in the beginning with God. All right, so who's this logos? Well, Vine's Expository Dictionary tells us. The word, the logos, denotes the expression of a thought. Here it is, it's the title of the Son of God. So ladies and gentlemen, the Word is Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the perfect expression of God's thought, the perfect message of God, his incarnate Word. And so let's reread verse one and substitute Christ for the Word. And I want you to say it out loud, okay? On the count of three, we're all gonna read verse one, one, two, three, go. In the beginning, was Christ, and Christ was with God, and Christ was God. The Word was God. Now sadly, the people who knock on your door 
almost every Saturday afternoon, the Jehovah Witnesses who believe that Jesus was Michael the archangel before coming to earth, the Jehovah Witnesses who believe that Jesus was God's highest created being in their New World Translation of the Bible, it says this, the word was a God, little g. And you need to know that is a misinterpretation and a misrepresentation of the Son of God. It's wrong. It's false doctrine. When you properly interpret the Greek in the context, using the proper um, uh, principles for interpretation, it's very clear the word was God. And so what three truths can we pull out from verse one? Well, here's what we can pull out. Number one, Christ is preexistent. Number two, Christ wasn't his coexistent. And number three, Christ wasn't his self-existent. And so number one, Christ was pre-existent before creation. It says, in the beginning was the word. That means that he was already existing at the time of creation. But not only that, number two, Christ wasn't his co-existent. It says, and the word was, note this, every single word in the Bible matters, okay? And so the word was with God. What does that mean? That means that Christ was in perfect communion with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, whom John's gonna talk about later in his gospel. Of course, now we're talking about the Trinity. And so I, I personally thank God for a ministry called gotquestions.org. Um, it's a trusted website. I've been telling my church family for years, if you have questions about the Bible, about theology or life, go to gotquestions.org. And so we borrowed this image um, from their website. But you need to know that we believe in one God, eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so just like there's one triangle on the screen, there's one God and only one God in the universe. But just like that triangle has three sides, so there are three persons within the Godhead. This is hinted at in the Old Testament, but it's fully revealed in the progressive revelation of the New Testament. And so as you can see, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. Not three gods. <laughs> We're not polytheists. We're monotheists. One God and they all share the same undivided divine essence. But in their personhood, the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. They are three distinct persons. And so we see a beautiful example of the Trinity in the baptism of Jesus Christ. And so in Matthew chapter three, you remember the story there's Jesus in the Jordan River, and he goes down underneath the water, and then he comes up from the water. The Son of God comes up from the water, and then what happens? The heaven is open, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove, and then the voice of the Father from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I, I am well pleased. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, such beautiful communion, perfect fellowship, perfect love, 
among the three persons. And so ladies and gentlemen, if you go back to the beginning of the creation of the space-time material universe, if you go back to when God said, let there be light, and then you go farther back than that, into eternity, if the one God was only one person, then John would not be able to write later on in the New Testament in his little letter, quote, God is love. Why? Because it takes more than one for true love to exist. But because the one God is eternally existent in three persons, we see that there has always been throughout all eternity perfect fellowship, perfect love, perfect communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now here's the beautiful truth of Christmas, that God invites us into that fellowship. God invites you. Don't let it just be a head knowledge in your head. Let it get down into your heart. And if you will make a decision to turn from your sin and turn to Christ as your only hope and Savior and Lord, guess what? He'll send the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God will come inside of you and he'll seal you until the day of redemption and he'll say, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then you can partake in C.S. Lewis's words in the divine dance that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been doing for all eternity. That's the good news of Christmas. Hey, let's all put our hands together and thank God for these eternal truths. And so back to the three truths about Christ. Number one, he's pre-existent. In the beginning was continually existing, the word. He's co-existent, and the word was with, face-to-face with the Father, face-to-face with the Spirit. The word was with God, and then number three, we see that Christ is self-existent. The word was God. Now what do we know about God? Well, the, thank God for the Bible. We know a lot about God. We know that God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, he's eternal, he's sovereign, he's uncreated. Do you know what I love about the Bible and you know what I love about teaching on the doctrines of God? Because ladies and gentlemen, how many of you guys know that we, we, we get so wrapped up in ourselves and our problems and our issues, but then when we open up this book, which is light, and we begin to meditate on the truths of who God is, what does it do? It lifts us out of ourselves and we realize that we serve a great God. He's an awesome God. And so the word was God. What does that mean? That means as God, he's uncreated. As God, he's eternal. And God, ladies and gentlemen, is not dependent on anyone or anything to exist. He is the great I am. I am. What does that mean? He's the self-existent one. In chapter eight, John tells the story of when Jesus was having a heated debate with the religious leaders of his day. And so as you probably know, many of the Jewish religious leaders did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't fit the description that they wanted. And they were getting pretty upset. And even though these Jewish religious leaders admired and revered and respected Abraham, Father Abraham, way back in the book of Genesis, when it came to Jesus, You know what they said to Jesus in John 8? They said, you have a demon. They said, who do you think you are? And I want you to see Jesus reply to the religious leaders. Here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
And how did they respond to that? They picked up stones to throw at him. Do you guys know when Abraham lived? 2,000 years before Christ. Way back in the book of Genesis. And Jesus boldly tells the religious leaders, before Abraham existed, I am. And the religious leaders knew exactly what he meant. They knew Jesus equated himself with the God who would, four or 500 years later, reveal himself to a man named Moses in a burning bush as the great I am. And so how dare you equate yourself with God? And they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Listen, nothing is more important than what I'm talking about right now. Who is Jesus Christ? You don't wanna get this wrong because if you get this wrong, you get everything wrong and it impacts, impacts your entire eternity. And so I love, love men of God like C.S. Lewis who wrote about the deity of Christ. If you haven't read Mere Christianity, can you please put it on your to-do list for 2021 Push through those first few chapters. I know they're a little dry, but man, read it. It's one of the best books outside of the Bible ever written. And I'm not making this stuff up. But look at what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Quote, well, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says, that's the one thing we must not say. He said, a man who, has, who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said, <laughs> you know, like I am the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, or I am. <laughs> a man that would say that would not be a great moral teacher. <laughs> he would either be a lunatic or else he'd be the devil of hell but you must make your choice. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's true of everybody in this room right now. You got to make a choice. You say, I don't wanna make a choice. Well, you made a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or, and I hope this is your choice, you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so it's your choice. And nobody can make that choice for you. But here's what God says to you tonight. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And now we go to verse three. All things. Not some things, all things. And by the way, that includes angels. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so far from being a creature, far from being a created Thing. No, no, the word, Jesus, 
He's the creator of all things. One of my favorite figures from church history, Martin Luther, said it like this. He said, John was asserting that the word existed before all creatures and that the word was a co-worker with the Father. He was an equal creator of everything along with the Father. For this reason, we can never think of the word as something created. The word is eternal. This is why he can't be considered an angel. He's not Michael the archangel. Instead, he's Lord and creator of the angels and of all other creatures. And so the word was and is God. And right now, we're gonna see in our Bibles that the word is gonna do something shocking. So here's John's account of the Christmas story. It's found in verse 14. Check it out. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Here it is. And the word became flesh. I hope that's why you're here tonight. Because this is the meaning of Christmas right here. Our culture's made it about everything else. But this is what Christmas is all about. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What is this? This is called the incarnation. <laughs> What's the incarnation? It's when the word, God, became a man. And that leads you to your next point as we go a little deeper theologically, and it's so important that you get these truths because we're talking about the nature of Jesus Christ. And so since the incarnation, Jesus Christ forever has two separate natures, divine and human, in one person. And so theologians call this the hypostatic union. What does it mean? It means that the eternal word, God, comes down, right? And what does he do? He adds a human nature to his already eternally existing divine nature, and now he has two separate natures forever in one person. Human, divine, fully God, fully man. And so during his earthly ministry, we see evidence of Christ's divine nature and his amazing miracles. And so Jesus displayed his divinity when he did things like turn water into wine. I guarantee you, you can't do that, and neither can I. Like when he, in Mark 4, calmed the raging storm. I mean, if I go out in the Atlantic Ocean on a boat and it starts to rain and I stand up and put my arms out and I say, quiet, be still, it's probably gonna rain harder on me. But Jesus, he said, quiet, be still. And nature obeyed him. Why? He's God in the flesh. He raised people from the dead. He multiplied the fish and loaves to feed 5,000 men, not including women and children. He gave, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about what the Messiah would do, listen to this, he gave sight to blind people. Only God can do that. And so he showed his divinity and his miracles, but he also displayed his humanity when Matthew 4, he became hungry. In John 4, he became thirsty. In John 11, he became sad. In John 11, he became 
I'm sorry, Matthew 27, he became lonely, and in Mark 10, he suffered and he died. And so we see from all these examples that our Lord Jesus Christ had two natures, divine and human, forever in one person. But, but here's what's really sad to me, is that you can preach till you're blue in the face, but a lot of people don't believe a word I'm saying. There's been preachers like me, millions of them, for 2,000 years, preaching the same truth from John chapter one, and there's so many people who say, you know, whatever. And some people get religious, and what do they do? They put their trust in a Jesus, quote unquote, who's not the Jesus of the Bible. They, they begin to talk about and follow a quote unquote Jesus who's not fully God and fully man, as the scripture says, and so what have they done? They've put their faith in a Jesus who can't save them, who can't redeem them. And guess what? One day, they take their last breath, and guess what? They wake up in hell, paying for their own sins because they believed in a Jesus who can't save them. You gotta get this right. If you're gonna get anything right, get two things right. Number one, Christology. Number two, soteriology. Number one, the study of Christ. Who is he? You gotta get that right. And number two, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. You gotta get that right. And so not everybody has always gotten it right. And the most famous example from church history of someone who denied that Christ was God was that guy right there, a priest by the name of Arius who lived at the end of the third century in the beginning of the fourth century AD, he served in a church right outside of Alexandria, Egypt. And so the trouble began when that guy took issue with something that his bishop taught about the nature of Christ. And so his bishop was a good and godly man named Alexander, and Alexander rightly taught that Jesus is not, was not created that the Son is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. And so let me try to illustrate this for you by talking about the sun and sunlight, okay? And so we believe that just like sunlight is constantly generated from the sun, the S-U-N, so the S-O-N, the sun, is eternally generated from the Father. And so I have a question for you, you can answer out loud. Has there ever been a time when the sun, S-U-N, existed, but not its light? Yes or no? No. <laughs> There's never been a time when that sun up in the sky has ever existed without its light. As long as there's been a sun in the sky, there's been sun rays. And so likewise, as long as there's been a father, there's always been a sun. <laughs> How long has that been? For all eternity. Because unlike the created S-U-N, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the uncreated God. And just like we know that the S-U-N, the Son, exists by the light that is generated from it, so we know the Father exists because of the S-O-N who's eternally generated from him. And so I want you to check out what Jesus said. Listen to the one who came to reveal the Father to us. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You see, these are some audacious claims here. These are some bold proclamations. In other words, as C.S. Lewis said, 
If he's not Lord and God, this guy's a lunatic or a flat out liar. He says, if you've seen, can you imagine if I said right now, hey, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. I guarantee you I would not be preaching ever again in this church. They'd come and take me away in a straitjacket. But Jesus backed up everything he said with amazing miracles, which is one of the many reasons we know that he's telling the truth. You gotta come to grips with this stuff. You need to make a decision. Don't just keep living your life as if everything that I'm saying is not true or you don't even wanna think about it because here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna waste your entire life and you're gonna take your last breath and you're gonna wish to God that you could hit the rewind button and go all the way back to Christmas Eve 2020, hear the truth again and give your life to Jesus Christ and spend your entire life living for him. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Have you ever come to grips with that? If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father? And then he says, I and the Father are one. And that's why John could say this about Christ. And by the way, for those of you who love apologetics, this is one of the best verses for the deity of Jesus Christ. Check this out. No one has seen God, talking about the Father. The only God who is at his or at the Father's side, he has made him known. All right, question you can answer out loud. Who is at the Father's side? Shout out his name. And look at what it says about him. He's the only God. Do you see it? And so no one has seen the Father, the only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side. He just like sun rays make the sun known, so the Son of God has made the Father known. And so back to the heretic, Arius, who denied all this. He refuted the eternality of Jesus Christ, and he said, and I quote, there was a time, he, he taught this. He had the audacity to teach this to his church. There was a time when the Son was not and for that statement, I give him a big frowny face at the end of that statement. Because ladies and gentlemen, that's straight up heresy. That's straight up false doctrine. We just finished the book of Jude. And Jude exposes false teachers. And so thank God for Alexander who would not put up with this kind of false teaching in his parish, so what did he do? He gave this priest the boot. He said, you can't teach the people in this parish anymore. And so what did Arius do? Oh, fine, I'll go down the street and start another church. And so he left, and he gathered a following. It's basically a cult, a following that believes in the created Jesus. And there was such a stir in the Roman Empire that the emperor, Constantine,'s got to get involved. Now, those of you who know church history, you know that Constantine, after his quote-unquote conversion, and I'm doing this because no one knows but God and him if he was truly saved, but after the emperor, Constantine, um, has a conversion, he issues the Edict of Milan, which now all of a sudden, after years of Christians being thrown to the lions and being um, killed and persecuted, now all of a sudden, the Roman Empire says, well, Christianity is welcome, is accepted into the Roman Empire, and so the Edict of Milan goes out, stops the persecution of Christian, Christians. Constantine gets involved because of this dispute in his empire, 
and he calls on the first ecumenical church council in history. And so 300 plus bishops all come from around the Roman Empire and they converge on a little town in modern day Turkey called Nicaea in 325 AD. It's the council of Nicaea. Now, quick little fun fact, side note. It was reported that one of the leaders at the Council of Nicaea was a man named Nicholas of Myra. And according to tradition, Nicholas's parents were very wealthy and they died. And they left Nicholas a sizable inheritance. And so what did he do? Well, he's a man of God and he's like, I'm not gonna spend all this money on myself. And so he would put money in bags and leave them bags of money anonymously at the doors of poor people. And it's reported that sometimes he would drop the bags of money down chimneys. So I think you're catching on now. The church later canonized Nicholas of Myra and from old Saint Nick comes the legend of the man in the red suit. And so back to the Council of Nicaea in AD 325, at this council, the leaders all voted and debated and voted on one of the, if not the most important issue ever in human history, and that is, was Jesus Christ the eternal God or was he a created being? And it's so awesome to report to you who don't know that the Council of Nicaea, by majority vote, voted to uphold the truth of God's word that Jesus Christ is in fact the eternal God. And I'm also happy to report that it's been reported in history that Nicholas of Myra, Myra old Saint Nick, he voted for the deity of Jesus Christ. And so, praise the Lord, we're probably gonna see Santa Claus in heaven someday. <laughs> but a very important counsel. Thank God for men of God who stood for truth. And these leaders adopted a very important statement of faith. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Nicene Creed. And so concerning the eternal generation of the sun, remember the sun, S-U-N, the sunlight? Okay, this is what they say about the relationship between the Son of God and the Father. Here it is. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Begotten, the idea there is eternally generated not made, not created. And these guys wanna be so careful, they actually used a Greek word, I'm not gonna try to pronounce it, to make sure that the Arian heresy was put to bed in their time. Here it is, being of one substance with the Father. It's huge. Through whom all things in heaven and on earth came into being. And I say praise God for people who stood for truth, who gave us an exact concrete statement so that millions and millions and millions of people down through the ages would know and understand the true nature of the Son. But why did he come? Why did, on that first Christmas morning, God, be, God become flesh? Well, a more modern version of the Nicene Creed says this, and maybe you're like me and you grew up saying this every Sunday. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
And for whose sake? You see that? You know why? Because the wages of sin is death. And so for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Can anybody get excited about this next statement? On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will, mark it down, what you see going around, around you right now in the culture is not gonna last indefinitely, no. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That, ladies and gentlemen, is pure, unadulterated truth straight from God's eternal word. Now, I grew up saying that every week, which is great, but there was a problem. I just said it like a poem. I just said the words. I never, if you're with me now, can you say amen? Listen to this, I never personalized it. And then one day, by God's grace, it dawned on me that he came for me. Not just for the whole world, but for me. That I was a sinner. That I actually deserved death and hell. That if I would have taken my last breath in my sins, I'd go to hell and pay for my sins. But that God so loved me that he sent his one and only son and Jesus hung on that cross for me. He paid for my sins in my place and he rose again for me. And when I personalized it, ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit came inside of me and I, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, was born again. Thank God for his grace. My question is, are these just facts in your head? Or have you allowed it to go from your head down into your heart? Have you personalized it? Have you, in John 1, 12, it says this, as many as received him, the word, the logos, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you opened up your heart? Have you received Christ as your savior and Lord? That's the first step. And so you need to do that, and I can't think of a better time to do that than at Christmas Eve 2020. And you'll always be able to look back and say, at Christmas Eve, that's when I personalized it. That's when I made the choice to give my life to Jesus Christ. And so listen, don't put your head on the pillow and go to sleep tonight until you've gotten alone with God, you've got down on your knees, and you've confessed Jesus as your personal Savior and the Lord of your life, amen?